Please pray with me as well. Our God, this is your word. We ask, God, that you would open the eyes of our hearts. We ask that you would guide and direct our thoughts, that we would see Christ and him most high and lifted up. We ask, God, that you would be most glorified in us as we uh, seek out your word. We pray, Lord, that you would accomplish all that you have set out to do in this time. We ask that you would use your servant mightily this day. On all this we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Everyone loves a vacation. And I realize even as I say that, that, uh, you know, that timing couldn't be more perfect with that. Uh, but I don't believe I've ever spoken to a person who doesn't love the idea of getting away from it all. Everybody loves uh, taking some time off to rest and be refreshed, to kick back, to not have a care in the world, even if it's just for a little while. It may not be a long break. It may only be a day or two here and there. But truly, as humans, we have this built-in desire and need for rest, a need for a periodic break from the daily grind. But even if you happen to be one of those people who uh, doesn't actually take vacations, there is still a sense of long, loving the idea of vacation, isn't there? I mean, that picture-perfect uh, idea of sitting in the hammock on the beach with uh, a coconut straw in your, or coconut with a straw in it uh, in your hand as you rest and are refreshed. This idea of taking a break, of leaving all your problems behind, that promise of getting away. There's an allure to it. There's a desire to be refreshed from the toils of the day or the weeks or the months that go on and turn into years. You see, we long for rest. We long to find rest in this weary world. We long for escape from the troubles that come knocking at our doors. We long for better days, for good days where we wouldn't have a trouble or a care in the world, especially if we've been experiencing a bit of turmoil or trouble in our lives at the moment. This morning, as we continue moving through the book of Ruth, as we are finishing out the first chapter, as we look at this woman, Naomi, and her daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, we remember the bitter circumstances that are going on around her. And truly, if we think about it, what we really want for these women to have happen is for them to catch a break. We want them to have the wind fill their sails again so they can be on their merry way. We want their lives to get better. I mean, and so far as you move through chapter 1, especially in the first uh, five verses, these women have been destined for nothing but more destitution. And as the story moves forward, the question for these women truly is, will they find rest? Will Naomi catch a break? Will Ruth receive rest just like the rest of Israel has, as we'll learn about in just a little while? Or will things continue to get worse and worse for them? These women are widows. Naomi is aging. 
Ruth is barren. And the question is, will the story turn? Will something happen? Will something change? And if so, how and why? Will they find rest? Our text opens up this morning, and the first thing we learn is that God visits his people. God visits his people. Uh, You may recall from a few weeks ago when we began this uh, series through Ruth, that in those first five verses, Naomi especially has come to the end of her rope. All the supports that she needs to thrive in this land and in this time have been taken away from her. Her husband, who was to support her financially and to farm the land, her sons have been taken away from her who would have provided as her husband was gone. She has now no way of maintaining her world or her life in this world any longer. She has truly become a destitute, empty, broken woman with no livelihood available to her anymore except for the care of those around her the concerns of other people. And the question is, how will she survive? And more than that, will she ever thrive again? Will she ever come to a place that is blessed again? Will she find rest? Or is she condemned to scrape by for the rest of her life? Naomi has to move on from this point in the story. She has to move forward. She has some decisions that she has to make about her future, about her livelihood, because truly her means of survival have died with her husband and her sons. And now who will work for her? Who will provide for her? And so as these questions unfold for Naomi, especially there really is one decision that has to be made that stands head and shoulders above the rest of the decisions facing her. And that is, what is Naomi going to do now? Will she stay in Moab and follow her husband and sons into the ground? Will she hope that this foreign country is filled with people who are compassionate People who have really no reason to take pity on this foreigner and accept her, will they take care of her? Will they feed her and clothe her? Or will she return to Israel from where she came? Will she turn back in repentance to her God? Will she return to her people and her God? Should she stay or should she go now? Well, in verse 6, Naomi receives some news, and it sways her in the right direction. She learns that God has visited her people. That's the language of the Hebrew there especially. God has visited his people. God has drawn near to his people. In other words, the people of Israel have repented of their sin, whatever it was at this time that was keeping God away from them, that was causing a famine in the land, and God has now showered his blessing upon this people. He is blessing them with food abundantly, providing for them with their daily needs, giving them all that they need, especially their daily bread. And Naomi hears this news, and she rises, and she goes, leaving this place where she has dwelt for over a decade to return from the place that uh, is the land of no bread to the house of bread. She turns her eyes and sets them upon Israel. She is returning back to Bethlehem, to Judah, 
to her home. And it's worth pausing for a moment to see what it is exactly that is happening here. I mean, so far in the text, in verses 1 through 5, Naomi and her family have been marked by how they have turned from God, how they have turned away from him, away from his promises of deliverance, of provision, of providing. They have turned away from his covenant faithfulness. They have turned from his people, and the text points to this, that they have abandoned Yahweh himself. They have abandoned their God and everything he is and does for them. And now, suddenly in the text, Naomi turns. She turns back empty and broken, but she turns back in repentance. And the text uses the same exact word as when the people, as this family was leaving, as they turned away, as they turned away from God and his promises. And now Naomi turns back. She is no longer turning away from the promises of God, looking for greener pastures elsewhere. She isn't looking for blessings elsewhere anymore. She has seen the dry cisterns that are abounding outside of the covenant people and their God and found that they are lacking. And now she is returning to her God and to her people, a changed woman. She is a repentant woman and she is beginning over again. And truly, she is finally letting her eyes return to the hope held out for those who dwell in the land of promise. And so Naomi takes all that she has, or all that she can carry with her, and she takes even her daughter-in-laws, who by the laws of marriage in this time uh, now belong to her and her household. And she and her daughter-in-laws begin to move towards Israel. They turn Westward, finally, no longer moving east, away from God's promises, but westward, seeking to be blessed. And they return back in the hopes of drawing near to a God who blesses his people. But even as Naomi repents, and truly that is what is going on here, even as she repents and turns from her sins of leaving behind the promises of God and abandoning the people of God, all is not right with Naomi yet. Naomi, you can uh, think of her as someone who has uh, walked away from the church, someone who is a member or a part of the church for years and years and has walked away from the faith, and now she is returning back. And in the case of Naomi especially, she may be repenting She may have begun to see the errors of her way. She is, in fact, returning back to the fold of God, but she has a long way to go yet. She is still a woman in process and in change and transition. It's evidenced very quickly to us by what she says. For the Hebrews, especially when you read the Old Testament, what you say is what you are. That is what you believe. That is who you are. For out of the mouth, the heart speaks. And that is what we are seeing here with Naomi before us. And what we see are the confessions of an embittered heart. The confessions of an embittered heart. As these three women begin moving to the land of promise, Naomi stops. 
And she speaks a word to her daughter-in-laws. And when Naomi speaks, we see what it is she believes, what it is that is at the core of her person. We see what it is that is going on inside of her. And as they are moving to Israel, Naomi stops and tells her daughter-in-laws, notice the language, again, to return to their homeland. And she basically calls them to turn away from her God, to forsake this journey that they are going on. And she dismisses them with a twofold blessing, saying, May the Lord deal kindly with you. At least she's talking about her Lord, the Lord Yahweh. And she says, May you find rest. And that sounds like a reasonable thing to say and do. I mean, she explains herself in the next few verses saying basically, look, if you follow me, you will have hardship and you will be widows all of your days. There will be no one to provide food for you except for us. We will have to do it. Don't expect any other Israelites to marry you or care for you. You will be strangers to the covenants and the promises of God. And by the law, you really are to marry my next sons that I am to have, which I will never have because I am old and I will not marry again or have children again. You will condemn yourselves to be widows all your days. And you hear the logic here. You hear what it is she's saying. She says, even if I had a man tonight and became with child, will you wait 20 years for him? Would you shut yourself off from being with a man, with, from being with a provider, someone who could take care of you? And then in verse 13, we really get to the heart of the matter for Naomi. My daughter's... It is exceedingly bitter for me. Should it be so for you as well? The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Should it go out against you too? Go, and I will pray that Yahweh will deal kindly with you. And as you hear this, as you hear Naomi's words, it sounds indeed very logical all they can hope for as they go into the land of promise is nothing and brokenness. No one to help them. In Naomi's eyes, there is no more blessings from Yahweh left for her and those with her, even if they return to this land of promise. Notice, though, the whole problem with Naomi's confession here. Again, this is Naomi speaking from her heart. Setting aside the fact that she is turning her daughter-in-laws away from the God of Israel, the only God who can deliver them and save them from their troubles, she says, go back and may you find rest in the arms of a new husband. May you find rest as I have never found. May you find security and rest, not in the Lord, as you would think and as you expect to hear, but in a husband. For surely, God doesn't do that. God doesn't take care of his people. He doesn't provide rest for his people. He doesn't bless his people. He doesn't give them security or deliver them from their trouble. For surely, look at my life, young ladies. God's hand has gone out against me. Surely, he is not a good God. 
Naomi's confession is basically God is sovereign. He has ordained all of these sufferings to happen in my life. He has ordained all of these problems that have arisen in my life. And I believe that. And that's why I'm returning back to the house of Israel. But God is not a good God. He is sovereign, but he's just not good. Just look at my life. Look at what he's done to me. Surely a good God would never allow these things to happen to anyone, even if it does mean that I'm returning back to where I should be, where I should have been all along, back to the people of God, back to the land of promise, even if it means those things. People of God, Naomi no longer believes in God's covenant faithfulness to her. She believes God will be her God as the sovereign Lord reigns over her, but he will not bless her and keep her and make his face shine upon her. And so Naomi says, would you go with me? There is no blessing left for me. God has cursed my life, I, and I am one of his own people. I am an Israelite. I am not a Moabite. And that's this God that I serve. That is what this God does. He rules sovereignly over his people, but he is not good. And there is no rest to be found in him. If you want to find rest, if you want to find peace and catch a break from the trials that we've been facing, look for that rest and that peace in another husband. Find it in another man, for Yahweh will not provide these things to you, as he has clearly evidenced. Why would you go with me? There is no blessing left for me, and if you stay with me, you too will receive only the misfortune as me, the same fortune as I have. If you cast your lot with mine, they will be the same. and We will be widows who will grow old with no happiness, no blessing, no good to speak of. You can hear this is what she is proclaiming. Or you can return back to Moab. You can restart your lives. Maybe even get a second chance at a peaceful life. Maybe even have kids. You can have a good, satisfying life, a peaceful life, but without me and without my God. And truly, the way things look, the picture that Naomi has painted and is explaining it, it would be a ridiculous proposal to return back with Naomi. And Orpah hears these words from her mother-in-law and thinks, you know, she has the right of it. You know, she really is speaking clearly for all the things that have going, are going on. She is understanding what is happening in this world. And so Orpah, walking by sight, by seeing what she sees with her eyes and hears with her ears, Orpah kisses Naomi and walks away right out of the story of redemption, never to be heard from or of again. She abandons all hope here, abandons all promise of being in the land of promise and finding rest in the God of Israel. She agrees with Naomi's interpretation and returns to Moab in the hopes of finding rest in the arms of another husband, or at least in her mother's house. 
to find a life of satisfaction that is apart from Yahweh. But what will Ruth do? People of God, we see in Ruth not a confession of an embittered heart, not an abandonment of a life with Yahweh, but instead what we see next is a profession of faith, a profession of faith. Orpah walks away, and Naomi, still trying to talk sense into her daughter-in-law, says, See, Orpah? See, she gets it. She's returning home. She knows what's in store for her if she stays with me. Go with her. Go back to your gods. And Ruth speaks, and we finally learn what is in her heart. This is one who will become the main focus of the text and the rest of the story. And she really says three things here. First, she pleads with Naomi. She says, don't urge me to leave you. Don't ask me to turn away from you. It's very interesting that she says this, especially since Naomi is only asking her to return to the home that she has always known, to return back to the people she has always known, to the land and everything that is familiar to her. But Ruth will have nothing to do with it anymore. She is walking away from everything she has known her entire life. And then she makes a declaration. She says, don't plead with me to go because where you go, I will go. And where you remain, I will remain. Ruth is binding herself to Naomi so much so that in verse 14, the text says that Ruth clung to her or cleaved herself to her. Just as a husband and wife are to leave their father and mother and to cleave to their new spouse. That is what Ruth is doing here. Ruth has bound herself to Naomi as though there is a covenantal union between them. She is declaring a break with her homeland, with everything that she has known where she was raised and joining herself to Naomi. She is declaring that she is binding herself to her mother-in-law and to whatever may be in store for her, whatever blessings or cursings may be in store and waiting for her when they come to the land of Israel. And then... She makes an oath with Naomi. She invokes the strongest covenantal language possible in that day and binds herself to Naomi. She isn't just saying these things. She means it. And she says, your people, they will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die and be buried. I will remain there all of my days. I will not abandon this people or this land. I will remain there even long after you are gone. For everything that you will have will be mine. Your land, your people, they will be mine as well. And then she says this. Thus may God do to me. And add to it, if anything but death divides you and me. Ruth makes a promise with Naomi. She promises that she will never leave her or forsake her and that she seals it with a covenant saying, may the Lord curse me, may he, may he kill me and then curse me on top of it if I don't keep this promise to you. I am making a covenant with you. Your God is now my God, and whatever your God does to you, I will receive from that same hand, be it blessing or cursing. 
And Naomi clams up and speaks no more until they arrive in Bethlehem. Because she knows by Ruth's words that she has just bound herself to her. Though there is no worldly wisdom in what she is doing, though as you look around her, it makes no sense why she has done this thing according to the worldly standards of security and safety. In her mind, in Naomi's mind, Orpah is the one who chose wisely. And yet, Ruth binds herself to Naomi, saying, I will go to a land that holds no promise for me to a land where there is no husband for me to speak of, no security, no safety net. I will go to a people who will most likely reject me as an outsider because I am a stranger to the covenant of God. And yet, somehow, through the messy, messed up lives of Elimelech and Naomi and all their weaknesses, through all of the problems that have gone on for the last 10 years as they lived in Moab, somehow in their lives, Ruth has seen the God of Yahweh. She has seen the God of Israel and she has grasped hold of Jehovah and she will not let go to this God and his promises. She will not abandon him. She has faith in the God of the covenant, she believes in a God who delivers his people, one who brought a people up out of the house of bondage, up from the land of Egypt. He, she believes in a God who cares for the widow, for the sojourner and the outcast, those who are unclean, those who are unwelcome. She believes in a God who cares for these ones, strangers to God's promises. And she binds herself to hardship. Because she believes Yahweh is a God who will not only be sovereign, but he is good and faithful and kind and compassionate to his people. Somehow she has heard the stories of Yahweh and knows that he is a God who brings life out of death and darkness. Though surely... She has no evidence of this before her, either in her own life and the trials that she has endured or the promise that this particular people or their God will actually greet her when she gets to the land of Israel. In fact, the text says that both journeyed to Bethlehem and, they, and makes it explicit that when they got there, when they traveled and when they did these things, the people who come, she comes to don't even acknowledge her. They treat her as an outsider. They're only stirred because Naomi is back. And they don't want to ignore this strange appendage that has returned with her. And Naomi, still mourning, still believing that God is sovereign but not good, ignoring the confession and profession that Ruth has just made, says, call me Mara, call me bitterness, for I went away full and happy and blessed. Interesting, she turned during famine and considered her life full and happy and blessed. And now that I am returning, I return empty and broken and with nothing. Naomi herself cannot quite grasp what is happening. She will not acknowledge that God may indeed be using these events in her life, however horrific they may be, for her good, 
that he has used these events to draw her to himself, will God still be faithful to his covenant to this daughter of Abraham who cannot yet open her eyes and see the goodness of God that is before her? She cannot see the covenant faithfulness of her God. And the question of the text still remains to be answered. God has visited his people in blessing. God has drawn near to his people, and he will, and will he visit Ruth as well? This stranger to the promises of God, this Gentile who is unclean by all accounts, will he visit Naomi, who though she has come back, though she has returned to the fold, she refuses to acknowledge the goodness of God? Will they find rest in Yahweh? Will they find their ultimate rest in this one who saves and delivers a people? And by the end of the chapter, we don't know exactly what will happen, but we are given one little hint of what is to come. Verse 22 says, They came to the house of bread at the beginning of the barley season, or the barley harvest. These women have returned to the God of Israel when a harvest is waiting for them. There is a harvest waiting for them, a bountiful harvest, which at this time clearly means blessings from God. God has come and he is in the midst of his people again and he is blessing them. He has not come against them in judgment. And as we move through the book of Ruth, the text will show us that God is still faithful to his promises. He remembers his promises even when we are not faithful to him. Even when we abandon him, even when we do not believe God is a good covenant or good God. Even when we screw up, when we abandon him saying there is a God and he is in control, but he doesn't care about me. Look at all that is going wrong in my life. Look at how I've made a mess of it. I've screwed up. My spouse left me. My child walked away from the faith. My health is failing. My finances are a wreck. Can God still be good in the midst of these hard times? Does God still love me and draw near to me in blessing when everything in my life seems to say otherwise? Will he provide rest from my troubles? And if so, where? People of God, like Ruth before us, turn your eyes from what you see, from what the circumstances tell you, to the old, old story of redemption. Turn your eyes to the old, old story and the old, old rugged cross. Turn your eyes to the covenant promises of God that he said he would deliver a people, he would be faithful to a people, even when they would not be faithful to him. Has God forgotten those promises? No, beloved. God has drawn near to his people, and he has done so in the God-man, named Emmanuel, God with us. And Christ came and he bore a bitter judgment 
the judgment that we deserved rightly, one that we had earned, and he bore it, and by so doing, he gives us life and rest. We find ourselves hidden in him who is our rock of our salvation. He is our shield, our deliverer, our savior, and our rest. Though all we may see with our eyes is death and pain, Christ comes and he brings new life. He is indeed the bread of heaven. He is the one that we will feast upon. He is the one who satisfies our souls, even as he ultimately satisfies these two destitute, broken women. For that is who our God is. He cares for the broken. He cares for the destitute. He cares for the strangers and the outsiders to the covenant. He cares for those who know they need a savior. And ultimately, because Christ bore the punishment and bore the sin that we deserve, that judgment which we ought to earn, earn, that judgment where we ought to earn nothing but truly the wrath and curse, being cast away from God, being cast out of his presence forevermore. Instead, Christ bore that punishment so that we would be drawn near to him and ultimately to bring us into his rest. He gives us rest. He has visited his people. In, or he has come. His name is Christ, and we find rest in him. And one day, we will truly as we rest and receive Christ, as we hold on to the promises of God, that he is not only sovereign, but he is good, and that he works all things out to our good, we too will enter into that Sabbath rest where we will receive all things, all blessings, through Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Our God... And our Heavenly Father, you have done so much. What more can we say or add? We thank you for Christ, who is our redemption. We thank you for him who has delivered us from the curse of sin, from the bondage of sin, from the devil himself. You have delivered us and freed us from so much in Christ. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We pray, Father, that you would help us to walk in paths of righteousness, that we would live in gratitude for this covenant faithfulness, which you have proved again and again, and chiefly in your Son, Jesus Christ, that you are the God of promises, and that you keep your promises, and they are yes and amen in you. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.